I am so grateful to be here and worship this morning. I love Easter. Christians around the world are remembering the most important thing that's ever happened, the day that, that God conquered death, the day he provided the ultimate solution to all of our greatest problems and, and questions, and the, way, the, the day he actually defeated death. I've had a really... Um, difficult year in some ways, some, some in, incredibly challenging and difficult situations. And it's just been one more year of realizing that the world is filled with a ton of sadness. Uh, maybe you have too. I, I watch some of you cry when we sing these songs with uh, a mingling of joy and sadness as you think about maybe people in this past year who have died. So as we sing about life, eternal life, resurrected life, it's especially good news to you. And boy, do we need good news. We have a world filled with plenty of bad news, and, and we need good news. Um, when I'm going through a hard time, I must tell you, there are sometimes people say things to me that... Um, leave me pretty empty. And that's, that's the best way to put it. I, when, somebody, when I'm going through a very difficult time and someone says something to me like, I'm sending good thoughts your way. I, I do, I don't almost ever, I don't say it, but I, I want to say, is that all you got for me? Really, that, that's all you got for me. Sending good thoughts my way. Now, I realize that that may be all you have this morning, and I can't tell you how glad I am that you're here, because God provides answers and solutions that so exceed my good thoughts I may be able to send your way, or some energy I may be able to sort of generate into the universe that may have some sort of positive implication, but, but we need answers, did you hear about the bird that landed on Bernie Sanders' podium yesterday? <laughs> it just stayed there for a while. Man, people are going crazy saying what a sign it was. On the spot, Barry was pretty quick. He said he thought, even though it didn't look like it, he said, that was a dove telling us we need world peace <laughs> and no more wars. And now people are hypothesizing that the reason Hillary doesn't have birds landing on her podium is because she's for fracking and the earth doesn't like that and uh it's just amazing the way the, the places will go for solutions nah, he's probably tongue-in-cheek mostly I, he's an atheist as far as i know but uh i i don't i don't know where you'd find answers apart from what Christians celebrate today. I, I know there are places to go and i've heard lots of the answers and considered lots of them myself but but what, what's a really sufficient answer when you're honest about how broken this world is? What is a truly sufficient solution when you consider just how complex and deep the problems are? Does your way of viewing the world really provide the solutions you need? I think it was Ben Franklin who said the only two sure things in life are death and taxes. I just started on my taxes yesterday. I'm glad I have a solution to death, though. <laughs> um, I do. 
I do, and that's a bigger problem. As big as taxes may seem, uh, death is, is really the ultimate enemy, isn't it? But Christian, the reasons Christians get so excited about this day is because we remember on this day 2,000 years ago where God delivered the death blow to death itself. He actually defeated the ultimate, ultimate enemy by defeating what led to it, which is human rebellion against our creator. That's the best news in the world. And, and so I just want to ask you this morning, does your way of viewing life in the world actually provide what you need? And if you don't believe people rise from the dead, if that's sort of the presupposition you take to this idea of Jesus' resurrection, I don't think you have really good reason for that. Um, and and I, I just, I wonder if you at least wish that people rose from the dead. Don't you? Don't you wish there was something at least like the resurrection that could actually provide ultimate solutions? Listen to Tim Keller in this brilliant quotation. He says, most people care deeply about justice for the poor, alleviating hunger and disease and caring for the environment. Yet, many of them believe that the material world was caused by accident and that the world and everything in it will eventually simply burn up in the death of the sun. They find it discouraging that so few people care about justice without realizing that their own worldview undermines any motivation to make the world a better place. Why sacrifice for the needs of others if in the end nothing we do will make any difference? If the resurrection of Jesus happened, however, that means there's infinite hope and reason to pour ourselves out for the needs of the world. That means not only can you find a solution to death and the brokenness and the messed up realities of this world, that means everyday life can now be filled with meaning. Believing that, God is beginning this journey toward a glorious end with the resurrection and we can be part of getting there. Our lives really do add up to something wonderful and glorious and victorious. That's the truth that we acknowledge today as Christians. And if you're here this morning and you don't usually go to church, I am so glad you're here. I'm so grateful you're here and I hope you realize that Maybe it was a badgering family member. That may be the case. But, but maybe you're here because you did feel an inclination to worship. You did feel like you needed to at least consider the realities of a relationship with God. Maybe you do recognize a value in gathering with his people. And there is tremendous value. You really are able to have a relationship with your creator, the one who made you intricately woven together in your mother's womb, the Bible says, loves you and is at work in your life. And if you're here now, I hope you recognize a drawing that's gone on in bringing you here, even if it was through a badgering family member or probably a praying family member. Or friend, And so I'm really glad you're here. And I, I pray you will joyfully go along on the journey with us to understand God better. Do you have questions? Well, welcome to the club. We all do. Do you have doubts? Welcome to the club. Do you, do you have struggles? Yeah. Welcome to the human race. 
And being a Christian doesn't mean we've arrived at all the right answers, all the, all the doubts gone now, but it does mean we have found the ultimate solution and we're banking everything on the fact that Jesus really did walk out of the grave 2,000 years ago. That's why we're here. We wouldn't be here otherwise. We really wouldn't. And so I, I want to think about why it is that Jesus is the cornerstone. We are preaching through First Peter here at Grace, and this vital passage here in 2.6 says, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone in the heavenly city, in God's city, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. You don't need to live in shame. You don't need to live a life that ends in nothing but a big pile of shame. You are able to live a life that is freed from shame and guilt and the burden that comes with our sin. And every one of us walks in here with a sin problem. Boy, is that obvious that we've got a sin problem. But the Bible says there's a cornerstone, something. God's building a building. And the, the foundation of that building, the, the core stability of that building is Jesus Christ. He's the one who enables God through his work to make this incredible people that are his own possession, that are representing him and one day will be home with him in heaven experiencing the eternal life that Jesus put into action with his resurrection. Now, what makes him that cornerstone, that indispensable cornerstone? This is what it is. It's his death and resurrection, who he is. The eternal son became a human, lived a perfect life for us, and then died a perfect sacrificial death and rose from the dead. Here's how Romans puts it. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised Jesus from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses. He died on a cross for our sins, and was raised for our justification. So the cross, his death, and the resurrection, his new and eternal life, become the linchpin for our forgiveness, for our salvation, for our new identity in Christ. Now, by faith, we trust him and not our own self-righteousness, which adds up to nothing. And so Jesus, this is why he's the cornerstone that Peter, as we're preaching through it, lays down so clearly. He, that's why, because he alone had the sufficient life of righteousness and perfect sacrificial death that we desperately needed and could never provide for ourselves. And so we get to the end of ourselves and we arrive at Jesus' feet, depending on him. And so that's the reality of a risen Savior. That, that's what we serve. That's who we are serving this morning, a risen Savior, a living God. That's the fact of the resurrection. And so what I want to do is return to the passage that Jeffrey read and read through it again because I'm deeply concerned for us this morning that the resurrection not just be facts we believe, although it's certainly that, I want to make sure the resurrection is something that leads us to communion with God, to relationship with God, to experience of a relationship with God in a very personal way, a very subjective way. These objective truths in history of a resurrected Christ become very real to us in a very personal and subjective and experiential way. And that's what happened to these two on the road to Emmaus that... Jeffrey read for us. So I, I just want to read through the story again, pausing along the way to 
learn from Dr. Luke. Here's what he says, beginning at verse 13 in Luke 24. If you you turn there, that'd be really helpful. We're going to be in this text the rest of our time together. So Luke 24, beginning at verse 13, is where we are. Help us, Lord. Luke 24, 13. That very day, what day? The day of the resurrection. The day Jesus rose from the dead. That very day, two of them, who? Disciples, were going to a village named Emmaus. They're heading home. About seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Okay, that's fun. That, that's fun and intriguing and interesting. This, this story is filled with fascinating humor and irony and vital teaching about a relationship with Christ. And it begins inviting us in to watch these two discover what we already know. It's like a good Columbo episode. (laughs) Let the reader understand. Uh, The the beginning of every Columbo episode is the murder, right? And then you watch Columbo figure out what we already know. It's really exciting. Here they are. Why would God keep their eyes from recognizing him? That's an interesting method of revelation, isn't it? We'll find out. Watch. Verse 17. And he said to them, what is this conversation you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas, I actually think this might be Jesus' uncle Cleopas. I'm serious. He has an uncle, uh, Uncle Cleopas and an Aunt Mary. I think this may be family as well as disciples. One of them named Cleopas answered him, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that had happened there in these days? That's funny. It's unfortunate. I have to say that's funny because if you have to tell someone something's funny, it's usually not funny, but that's funny. It, it is. Uh, what Cleopas just said to Jesus in Greek is, duh. Um, it's, it's saying what? Do you live under a rock? You need to get out more. Do you not know the things that have happened in Jerusalem concerning Jesus? And they're talking to Jesus. That, that's funny. And Jesus just keeps it going down that same path. And he said to them, what things? Nice. <laughs> Not because he doesn't know what things, obviously, but because he, I think, is enjoying the humor. I do. I do. And because he's very kind. He's kind. Well, how is he kind? Well, what's he doing here? He knows quite personally what things they're talking about. So what's he doing? You know what he's doing? 
what wise and kind ministers do. They say, tell me what you heard. Tell me what you saw. Tell me how he changed your life. I want you to rehearse it one more time. Put it in the words one more time. And when you're discouraged, when you're sad, that's a really good thing to do. And good ministers encourage people to do that. Tell me how he saved you. How did you come to Christ in the first place? Tell me about ways he worked in your life and changed you. Tell me how he saved you from great harm. Recount the ways, if there's anything obviously true about human beings in the Bible, it's that we're very forgetful. And we need lots of reminders. And the best ones come from our own voices. And that's what he's saying. He says, tell me one more time. Rehearse it one more time. That's what the, what, that's what the Lord's Supper is, right? That's what communion is. We're rehearsing it one more time. You'd think after four, five, six communions, we'd say, all right, Lord, got it. And he says, every time you gather, whenever you gather, do this in remembrance of me. He's so kind to them here to remind them, to get them to remind themselves of what's going on here. What things? And they unload. And they said concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. I want you to notice the tense of their hope. Remember when you took grammar a long time ago? Verbs have tenses, past, present, future, right? What's the tense of their hope? Past. Isn't that amazing that... That they're hopeless. They, they just have passed it. We had hoped he was the one. We had pinned our hopes on him. And now it doesn't seem like that was a very good idea. It, the best were very confused about all this. And we had hoped, oh, how amazing that the hopes and fears of all the years is standing right with them. Right there right next to him, talking to him, walking on the road, and they just have past tense hope. Oh, friend, Jesus is with you in this very moment, as present as he's ever been, and as present as he was to these two, right in this moment, in this place. He's here with you, and he is a God who loves you and is for you and working for the good of his people and for his glory in our lives every day, he's here to comfort, he's here to strengthen, he's here to provide life and forgiveness now, today. Don't live in past tense hope. We never need anything but present tense hope with massive future ramifications. That's what's happening here. Amazing hope is with us right now in this moment. And so they, they had hope, they say. That he was the one to redeem Israel, halfway through 21. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that 
they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then listen to the sermon. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. What a sermon. I can't believe it isn't recorded. It must have been really long and probably no preacher would ever want to preach another sermon because it's the piece de resistance, right? It's like, would you preach for us on Sunday? No, just read that is what we would do, right? But I'm, I hope Jesus preaches it in heaven again at least 500 times. But what a sermon. And then what happens? 28. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther. What's that all about? <laughs> I just think Jesus is being playful. I do. I do. I think there's a playfulness. I think there's an ongoing desire to call desires out of them in a beautifully playful way. I think Jesus is really excited for what is about to happen. I think he is giddy. <laughs> about what's about to happen. I do. How could he not be? He loved them dearly. He knew they're sad. He knew they're hopeless. And so he's quite excited about revealing this to them. And he acts as if he's going farther. Again, calling desires for him to stay with them. Out of them. No, 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 stay with us. Stay with us. He acts as if he's going farther. But they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it's now toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, and then listen to this, he sits at the table, and what does he do? He, he takes the bread, right, at the table, just a, a normal meal, but now he makes it something incredible. He took the bread and blessed it, no doubt lifting it up like this, and broke it and gave it to them. And then, Maybe because they remembered him doing that very same thing at the Last Supper. Maybe they saw the nail scars in his hands. But most certainly because God decided now. And their eyes were opened. And they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. Come on, this is a great story. Don't you love this story? I just, I do. I love this story. He vanished from their sight. Now something fascinating happens here. I put myself in their place. And if I, I was walking with Jesus, talking with Jesus, and all my confusion was cleared up suddenly when he appeared to me, when all the answers were provided, when suddenly I realized it was Jesus and he really isn't dead anymore, and he just vanished, I would have been like, whoa, where'd you go? That's what I would have done. It really would have bothered me. I would have been upset by the, what? Oh, oh. What's that all about? He's messing with us. That's how I would have felt. But they don't seem the least bit disappointed. Listen to their reflection on their experience. 
Verse 32, they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road and while he opened to us the scriptures? They seem very grateful. They seem amazed. They don't seem disappointed he disappeared. Fascinating. And they rose that same hour, verse 33. And they found the 11, and those who were with them gathered, saying, and I think they burst in the room, the 11 blurred out something, and then the, then the two. The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then the two, and then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Oh, come on. Even if the Bible weren't the word of God, it's an awesome story. It is, but it's both. It's both, and what a phenomenal teaching we get about experiencing Christ. And the first thing we need to realize is is that we serve a risen Savior. Do you realize how radically different the Christian faith is from every other faith on the planet? Do you realize how radically different? Because Jesus is the risen Lord. He defeated death. He's alive, unlike any other religious leader that's ever lived. Muhammad is dead. The Buddha dead. Gandhi, dead. Uh, Confucius, dead. One day Oprah will be dead. All the religious leaders will be dead one day. They'll all be dead, not Jesus. He's alive. Do you realize how different that is? That means we have a relationship with him now, and he said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. He's always with us. Do you realize how different that is? And that means he does it for us. Every other religion in the world is about what we do. Christianity is about what God has done in Christ. It's finished. That's what Jesus said. And the resurrection is what seals the deal. It's God's, the Father's stamp of approval on the work of the Son saying, yes, when Jesus said it's finished, it really was. Marines die for each other. Mothers have died to try to save their children. That sort of self-sacrifice isn't enough. It had to be the God-man to do this for us. And that's who it was. God became a man to represent us and to do what only God could do for us. And notice the story doesn't end with the resurrection. Luke concludes his gospel with the ascension. Verse 50, then he led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. If you went and saw how Luke starts the book of Acts, you'll see he begins at the way he ends his gospel with the ascension of Jesus. Why? Why would he do that? Because the resurrection actually by itself isn't enough. What do I mean by that? Well, we need a demonstration that this resurrection was unique. What do I mean? Well, other people were raised from the dead besides Jesus, right? In the Old Testament even. On Good Friday, we're told the graves opened up and people walked out. Remember Jesus, one of his last miracles was raising Lazarus from the dead. So we need to know that their resurrections were different than Jesus' resurrection. And they were. How? Well, they all died again. You ever think about what a bummer it'd be to be Lazarus' family at funeral number two? (laughs) Like one's not hard enough? Feels like deja vu. Well, actually. (laughs) Well, two funerals. Jesus had one. 
never to die again. So when he ascends in their midst, it means he doesn't ride off into the sunset to go die somewhere. No, he ascends, enters into heaven in his eternal resurrected state. This is life forevermore now. What else does the ascension show us? Two, that Jesus is human forever. This wasn't sort of taking humanity for a spin. No, this was a permanent uniting. We need a mediator, a representative, an advocate. And Paul says we have one right now. There's one mediator, he says, between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Present tense. He is our representative and will be forever. It's been said it will be a human hand that flings open the gates of heaven for you. It needs to be a true representative. So his life goes on. His humanity goes on. His current ministry then goes on at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us, ruling and reigning. And what else does the ascension assure us? He's coming back. He's returning. We await his return. It's a really important doctrine. And and please realize that the fact that Jesus lived, died, and rose in our place, oh, it really does give us everything we need. And so that gives us a relationship with God, not just facts. It gives us a daily experience with God in a very personal, in a very real way. Now, how do you do this then? How do you maintain this? Well, did you notice how Jesus chose to lead them to experience of himself? Did you notice verse 27? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. And we saw when they reflected back, what did they reflect upon? Did not our hearts burn within us in verse 32? While he walked with us on the road and talked to us and opened to us the scriptures. And then when he appears to the rest of his disciples in 44, he says what? These are my words I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Is that amazing to you? That Jesus himself wants them, deeply wants them to know him and experience him and relate to him. And he doesn't do all sorts of miracles and and impressive things to get that point across. He's not in a hurry. What does he do instead? He has a Bible study. What? That's crazy. He's conquered death. He's the Lord of the universe. And he says, let's have a Bible study. (gasps) What patience, what brilliance. Why would he do that? Why would he keep them from seeing in the first place? So that he could do it that way. Why? Because that's how they're going to do it for the rest of their lives. And that's how the church is going to do it for thousands of years. And that's what we're doing right now. Bible's open. Seeking Christ according to the scriptures. And and that's the second vital point. This relationship looks really normal and mundane. It looks like gathering on Sundays, opening our Bibles and digging in and preaching. It looks like you getting up in the morning and reading your Bible. Sometimes feels tedious, sometimes hard to understand, sometimes boring. But you find Christ there. That's the fact. That's the second major point. We know Christ according to the scriptures. That's how this relationship is maintained. When the Spirit of God and the Word of God come together, we have an experience of God. Our hearts are, are alivened toward Him. That's, that's why when you gather as a family and read together and, and seek the work of God through the Word, that's why when you memorize and meditate on Scripture, that's why when we gather in our grace groups, we open our Bibles. That's why when we do counseling, we open our Bibles because we don't want to just get our problems solved. We want to meet Jesus. And Jesus himself uses that method. How encouraging is that? 
It's wonderful. And, and when that happens, we see an incredible um, awakening. And that's what Jesus said even in his ministry. You search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. It is they that bear witness about me, he says. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Uh, Peter picks up on this. So Jesus, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Paul follows Jesus' lead as well. I stand here testifying both to great, small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass. This doesn't mean we have metaphorical, fanciful interpretations of every single detail in the Bible finding Jesus there somehow, but it does mean everything we find in the Bible, we should say, how does this point me to Jesus? How does this prepare me for his solution in his life and death and resurrection? How does this foreshadow, foretell, prepare, point to Jesus? Because he really is the centerpiece of it all. Maybe the problem you may have with the word is that you're not finding the word in the word. Because that's the point of it, relationship with God. And so the last thing I want to note here is a verse I missed for years as I've read this story. And then one, one day it just struck me like a bolt from the blue. Listen to what the 11 say in verse 34 to the two. The Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Who's Simon? Who's Simon? Peter. What's Peter's grand gesture, grand act before Jesus dies on a cross? He denies him three times after boasting he never would. One time cowering in fear of a little girl. We're told he wept bitterly, filled with shame and despair and disappointment. And it seems, it's more than it seems, it's true that when Jesus rose from the dead, right at the top of his list of post-resurrection things to do was go find Peter. And you know it wasn't to say, how could you? But to say, Peter, I'm alive. I'm never going to die again. And I know you're racked with shame and guilt and despair. But Peter, take hope. I won. I won. Oh, and your life will still be filled with many troubles. But take heart. I've overcome the world. Jesus has overcome the world and all of its badness and all of its twistedness. That's what I want you to know. He's your only hope. There's no other hope that will really satisfy your deepest needs, answer your deepest questions than Jesus. Please, if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus, I would love to pray with you after the service. There will be others up here who would love to talk to you and answer questions. Andy Draycott's class he's leading, Exploring Christianity, would be a great place to bring those questions next week. We would love to, uh, to bring you along with us as we journey closer to Christ together. I pray this is the morning. You'll turn from hopelessness to hope in Christ. Let me pray. Lord, help us. We are a needy people. We're broken, distracted, sad, hopeless very often. We are mired in our own sin and found our self-effort wanting. Thank you, Lord, that Jesus has done it all. That when he said it's finished, he really meant it. It really was true. 
Lord, thank you that the resurrection is this incredibly wonderful truth that has changed everything forever. Help us, Lord, to rest more than ever in that finished work he's provided, we pray in his name. Amen.